It's been a while since I've been here. It's so good to worship with all of you. Wasn't that great? And God's purpose for us as believers is victory. I really believe that. Uh, We're told in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. You know what it is? Our faith. Our faith. Think about that for a minute with me this morning. What it's like to have victory in Jesus. I want to kind of make you think about this for a minute by by giving you an idea that I had before I came. What if someone walked into church and and he said, I have a million dollars for the church. And what if if someone stands up in the church and says, I'm sorry, we only accept $10 bills. Don't you think it's a little crazy? I mean, the scenario is crazy, but the idea that we'd only take a $10 bill would be even crazier. But that's exactly what Christians do so many times in our walk with God. God has so much more for us. He offers spiritual wealth beyond our comprehension, more than we could ever dream if we would walk with Him. We say we want salvation from Jesus, right? But we leave untouched all the blessings, the victory over sin, the deeper fellowship with God that He offers, fruitful service, and a confident expectation in a glorious future with Him. I found myself in difficult times before and and feeling just like that, like I left something that I should have been better prepared for. How about you? Now, Nathan had given me a really big assignment. I'm supposed to preach through three chapters. And it would take me about 30 minutes to read through all of it. And so this morning, we're going to focus on chapter 11, okay? Because chapter 11 has a really great story Uh, some ideas about what faith is all about for us to think about. And so, grab your Bibles, turn to chapter 11, and as you're doing that, God gave the Israelites this place, this promised land, right? You guys have been following along with Nathan, right? So, he's been preaching on this. You kind of know where you're going. We're heading into the promised land, and God gave the promised land the land of Canaan, to Israel, not because they were righteous. Did you know that? (laughs) It was all about grace. Over and over and over again, you'll notice as you kind of read through this and explore this, they always were disobeying God. They were rebelling against Him. They were over and over again proving that they were unworthy of the promised land. But God, full of grace, gave them the land anyways. Isn't that what grace is? Something we don't deserve. 
And they didn't deserve it, but God did give it to them. And I want you to see the Israelites were not just passive in receiving this grace. In fact, they had to believe God in order to take possession of this land. They had to believe. They had to to demonstrate faith by obeying the Lord's commandments, including the commandments that he would give through Joshua, their new leader. When the Israelites believed God, things went really well. When they believed God, the Israelites lived out their faith. They followed God's orders given through Joshua. They would capture the the cities and the places. But when the Israelites showed a lack of faith and did not obey the Lord, they experienced defeat. Isn't that kind of what you guys have heard so far in the sermons? Do you remember in Joshua 7 with Achan's sin at Ai? Faith and obedience leads to victory. And victory, if you kind of read through the stories, you know that the victory is always of the Lord in each and every single one of these passages. It's true in Joshua's time. It's true. I believe these principles of faith are true even today for us. And so I want us to see a few principles of faith in these chapters. And the first one I want you to notice is kind of an overview of the entire three chapters. You and I cannot rest on our laurels. It's too soon to quit, folks. Our responsibility is to complete the conquest, to take the steps of faith necessary. The principle of follow-through is so important in, in business, in sports. I mean, you can't have a good jump shot unless you follow through, right? I've heard, I've never perfected this or know very much about it, but I understand in golf, follow-through is really important for a good shot. Is there any golfers here? Is that true? (laughs) Follow through is important. It's, It's important in spiritual things as well. Any work of in a spiritual battle, it is the follow through that is important. It's one thing to begin the race well, but it's it's even more important that we finish well. It is one of the things that you and I need to apply in our spiritual life. That we need to grow in our faith. We need to keep growing in our faith and follow through to victory. The battles to conquer Canaan are condensed in these three chapters. And it only takes about 20, 30 minutes to read through these three chapters. And yet it took a long, long time for these to transpire. It took many 
many years. Look at, look at verse, verse 18 in chapter 11. I got to get there. I just turned my own page. So look at, at 18. It says, Joshua made war for a long time with all those kings. It wasn't quick. It was a long thing. And this was not a quick victory, cleaning out the land of Canaan. But in all fairness, you know what? I've noticed that's pretty much typical with the way God deals with his people. It takes a long time. God's power is still at work, even if we don't see his power exhibited in flashes of glory. God is still at work in the mundane, in the long haul. God calls his people to a lifelong commitment over long periods of time. I mean, if you think about it, all these stories of the patriarchs, each one's invested years of their lives. I mean, it took 120 years for Noah to build the ark. Put that in relationship to your life and mine. 120 years to see God's faithfulness. You see, when we don't see God at work, even when God is at work, we live out our faith in everyday circumstances, don't we? We wake up every morning. This is a typical morning for most of us, right? We wake up, we rub the sleepies out of our eye, we wash our face, we brush our teeth, we read our Bible, we comb our hair, we take the garbage out, and we go to work, right? Then the next morning starts, we go to bed, we wake up, we brush our teeth, you know, we... Same thing over every day. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Even though Joshua had achieved amazing victories in the first few weeks of them entering into the promised land, it took seven years to fully occupy and consolidate the land under their control. You and I can't rest on our laurels. We can't rest on a prayer somewhere back in our past. We've got to keep on. It's way too early to quit in your spiritual walk with God. Second thing I want you to notice here is it's the same God in the next chapters, but just some new problems, problems they'd never run into before. Now, verse 1 says, at Jericho, at Ai, in the hills of Gibeon, he'd heard about how everybody got whooped. Right? And so he's a little afraid. And so it says, it says he sent to, the, to Jobab, Jobab, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshif, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, 
and Arba, south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphtor in the west. To the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hevites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is in the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces, and they came and encamped together at the waters of Minroth to fight against Israel. Now, Joshua had seen God work. He had faced some pretty strong enemies before. But now he was up against more armies comprised of superior numbers. I mean, think about this. Superior numbers and superior technology of his day. And so now we have this, this great, massive army. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian writing about this incident many hundreds of years later, stated that the combined forces of the Canaanite numbers were 300,000 foot soldiers, one million in cavalry. That's guys on horseback. 20,000 chariots. Whew. And even if Josephus stressed the numbers a little bit. It was a lot of people, a strong army that had more technology than Israel. And the Bible tells us that they came out with all their troops. And how did it describe it? A great horde that outnumbered the sands of the sea. I don't know about you, but I've been to the beach. Have you? And I've never sat on the beach and said, I think I'll count all the grains of sand. I, I told this to my wife because I thought, does this make sense? And she goes, I've never even thought about counting anything on the beach. Right? I mean, but we look at it and we go, that's a lot of sand. And that's what he's trying to convey. They were up against a superior army. But it's the same God. The same God that helped them through every other victory. Is that right? And so Joshua may have been fearful of the size and the weapons and the technology of the enemies, but his, his, all of that was offset by what we see in verse 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow... At this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. And you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's just kind of crazy. The whole way this is laid out for us. God delivers them this entire army. God had previously promised the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to battle against the enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you 
who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And even though this probably was most, the bloodiest, most violent war or battle that they'd ever seen. I mean, you got to imagine, it's big. If, if all these people are killed and this much fighting is going on, and even though this must have been just that, we're told not about all the details. We're not told how gruesome it was, how many how many spears were thrown, all all those details. What are we told? The Lord delivered them into their hands in verse 8. And they attacked them until left none of them remaining. And the victory was complete. And when it was complete, what did God tell them to do? Hamstring all the horses, burn up all the chariots. And why do you think he did that? Because we all have a tendency to trust something else but God. The psalmist declares, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And Joshua, in this passage, demonstrates for us this ability just to move when God says move, even if he's afraid. And that's what I call radical obedience. He was not reluctant to accept the new challenge that was confronting him. It was crazy, the size of what he had to do. With with a willingness to keep on with courage and faithfulness. Now, I thought about with calm courage and fearless faith but I don't know that I really see that in Scripture. And i got to tell you, I don't usually engage the enemy in my personal life either with calmness and fearlessness. I don't know about any of you guys. Only my wife can do that. And and she does it just to make me feel better. (laughs) She just puts on a, a good face, right? But... I think he did do what God told him to do with courage and faith. And he advanced to take the hill. It might be hard for you and I to read our Bibles when we're so busy. It might be hard to share our faith with someone at work. It might be hard to lead a Bible study when Pastor Nathan tells us we should do that. It might be hard for us to go against the crowd. It might be hard to give a tithe or or give sacrificially to the building campaign. But this passage tells us that God goes before us. He prepares the way. He overcomes the opposition. He enables us to take new ground for His glory in our lives and in the church. You know what, there, there must have been this nagging temptation, because I know I feel it sometimes. <laughs> there must have been this nagging temptation for the Israelites just to settle down. They'd already taken some of the land. Let's just, let's just quit. Let's just redivide. We'll have a little smaller spot, but it's nice. It's nice here. 
Let's just enjoy the pastures, the fields, the orchards, the cities that we find ourselves in right now. But that wasn't God's plan. Obedience requires us to work. I want to ask you, are you afraid? You are never too old. You're never too old and you're not too young to give yourself completely to the Lord and obey Him when He calls. Sometimes we get frozen by our fear, too afraid to stand our ground, too nervous to advance up the hill. But I want you to notice what happens here in this passage. Faith overcomes fear. Chapter 11, beginning in verse 21 and 22, it says, it says Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debriah, from Anab, and from the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. And Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. In Israel's dictionary, the word terrifying had the Anakim picture right next to it. These, these people were scary. They were big. They were tough. They were kind of a race of really big people that so terrified the original, the, the original spies. Do you remember when they entered into the land? They, they looked and they said, what did they say? Do you guys remember? Do what? They're giants. And they said, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And yet in this passage, you know what? God exposes the groundlessness of their fear and anxiety because Joshua whoops them. <laughs> he defeats them. God does. Right there in front of them. God does it right in front of them. And I don't know about you, but I have my own sets of fears that this passage really speaks to. And I'm going to give you one of, one of them that uh, God really exposed to me right before, even this week, as I was preparing for this. I bought an old sailboat. I thought it would be relaxing to sail on the lake out here at Branch Stoke. And I could live kind of like a Christopher Cross song. Sailing, take me away to where I always... Right? You know that song? Yeah. And I could just relax on the lake and forget about all the stress of life. And you know what? A lot of times it's, that's far from the truth. Sailing is not always stress-free. In fact... In fact, when the wind is strong and the water is rough and a gust hits your sail and the boat heels suddenly way over, my novice heart starts to beat really rapidly and I think that we're going to drown. 
Yet, every sailboat has a, a heavy keel on it, made of lead or iron or something. Regardless of how strong the wind is, it's, it's going to flip you back up eventually. You know what I'm talking about? This big, heavy, on my little boat, that keel is too heavy for me to even carry. It's about 500 pounds. The bad part is I can't see it. And yesterday, there was a big gust of wind, and it tipped the boat. And this is when Jen was not afraid. She just put her life jacket on. But it was so frightening to me, when I got to the dock, I had to make sure. I jumped in the water, swam into the boat and to feel if the keel was still there. My fear was groundless. These chapters in Joshua remind us to trust God. And fear is groundless. Like the children of Israel in the Bible, one author who was fearless, you know, bound up in that same kind of fear that I shared with you, she heard a sermon about scarecrows that challenged her to turn from fear to faith. And I just want to give you an excerpt of the sermon because it was so good. The preacher said, a wise bird knows that a scarecrow is simply an advertisement. <laughs> It announces that some very juicy and delicious fruit can be had for the picking. There are scarecrows in all the best gardens. And if you're wise, I too shall treat the scarecrows as though it were an invitation. Every giant in the way that makes me feel like a grasshopper is only a scarecrow beckoning me to God's richest blessings. And then he concluded his sermon with this. He said, faith is a bird that loves to perch on scarecrows. All our fears are groundless when, when we're looking at a Savior like Jesus, at a God who is as powerful as ours. What's on the other side of what scares or stands in the way of your path toward God's very best today? Is it a loss of income? Is it the fear of rejection? All that, you know, I won't have enough thinking that simply challenges us to take a step of faith. What is your scarecrow? Is it your circumstances? Is it maybe a personal inadequacy? I just am not good enough. I don't deserve it. Kind of a mentality. Is it uncertainty? The enemy of your soul wants you to keep away from God's blessings and a relationship that's deep and vibrant with Him. I think it's time for you and I to perch on our scarecrows. Amen? And start singing a song. I mean, it's not like Myra hasn't given us a lot of ammunition. I mean, we can just start humming one of those songs that we heard this morning and, and, and expect you will see an amazing orchard of fruit on the other side of your act of obedience. In Bunyan's 
Pilgrim's Progress, there's a little story. I know I'm telling too many stories, but I, I just think they fit here. But if you remember that Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's approaching the Palace Beautiful, where he hoped to get lodging, and he began to walk down a narrow path. And if you remember the story, there's two lions there. And there's a parenthetical there. And he says, but the lions were chained. And that is frequently the case in our lives. The truth is, is that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, far above in all rule and authority. He has all of that. According to Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 22, he has everything under his feet. He has it all in his hand, in his control. That means that every power that would harm us or seek to destroy us is just that chained. They can't get you. Forty years earlier, those Anakin, those giants that inspired the grasshopper phrase, now Joshua's marching into the promised land and he's stepping across those Anakim like they're grass in a field. And they kept him and everyone in Israel away from that promise. But they really could not or should not. And yet sometimes, sometimes we, we have that same kind of attitude. We, we, we look at those things and, and, and we kind of keep trusting ourselves, right? I can do this. I can make it. Even some, to, some of the things I say kind of prove that over and over again, that I, I think I can handle almost everything, right? And so we usually don't even try to lean into God until we've tried everything else. Jesus is our last resort instead of our first resort. We give God a chance when we think all the alternatives are gone. How much better it would be if we would just trust him from the beginning. Brothers and sisters, if we're not trusting Jesus, it's not faith. Have we given up God-sized dreams because such things are just outside our strength and our ability? It might be simpler to have a quiet time if I didn't have so much to do, right? Whatever God is asking you to do this morning, will you respond in faith? Don't give up right before the finish line. So what does all this have to do with me and you? I just have three what-ifs or so-whats. You know what? I think you and I, we should be ready to take on new challenges, whatever God's laid on our hearts to do. We need to take on those and keep moving with him every day. Don't stop growing spiritually. If you think you're plateaued, go find a way to grow further. Start asking Pastor Nathan, what can I do? How can I grow? What is it I need to do to take another step of faith and grow in boldness? Be bold enough to take on a new territory for Jesus, for the Lord. Second thing, 
Leave nothing undone that the Lord has commanded you to do. Has God already told you something you should be doing? Some, something you know this morning that God has welled up inside of you and he says, I called you to this, now do it. This story tells us we ought to be diligent, earnest, and complete the assignments that God's called us to. There should be no shirking of a responsibility to each other and to him. Third, no matter how big and scary and hairy your giants are, you know what? God's got this. God is able to conquer them. All you and I have to do is take a step of faith. Let us not forget that he's already given you everything you need to have spiritual vitality and victory. Victory in Jesus begins this morning with a relationship with Jesus. And I want to invite you to trust Christ today. If you've never done that, if you've never turned from doing it your way and placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning by faith, I want to invite you to do that. Just like Rahab. She was a Canaanite in Jericho, remember? Just like Rahab who trusted God. And now she's in the lineage of Jesus. Just like the Gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9 today, by faith, when faith is calling, would you respond and turn from a path of death and destruction to receive life in a relationship with Jesus? Let us pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, um, this morning we want our lives to be filled with faith. And no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus this morning, we know that there are still things and land for us to enter into. There are still promises for us. And this morning, Lord, we may be up against a new problem that we've never faced. It may be beyond our strength and our ability. But Lord, we know that you've got it. And faith, our faith in you will overcome our fear. And so, Lord, we ask that you would minister to our hearts this morning and that we would respond in faith as we obey Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.